Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. The heading in the text is warning against apostasy. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that has often that often falls in it, and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Graham. Um, I hope you can hear me. Someone give me a thumb up to just see that you can. Yeah, lots of thumbs. Thank you. Um, I guess we were all disappointed Friday night hearing we wouldn't be gathered in person. 
Uh, the reason I was disappointed was this passage, I think, is really important for us. I think it's a, a really important passage in the flow of Hebrews. Um, and yet it is a bit hard. You may have noticed that as we went through the reading. There's lots to talk about there. Um, and so I'm going to pray for supernatural help. I think it will take a miracle for us to listen better in our living rooms or wherever you are than we would have if we were gathered together physically. So let's pray for that miracle as we dive in. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, humanly speaking, everything's against us in terms of listening attentively to your word. Lots of distractions around and um, not being able to gather together. Uh, and we just pray that by your spirit, you would powerfully speak to us and change us and grow us as a church family. We pray that in Jesus name. Amen. Well, um, you'll see, uh, you won't see an outline. I was going to say you'll see an outline on the sheet, but you won't. Um, I'll give you an outline uh, to show you where we're going um, to go this morning. And uh, the basic uh, question I want to begin with is this one. Uh, what do we desire for this church family? What do we desire for this church family? And um, I think as we begin to go into a new building, uh, no doubt uh, that, that that's a good question to ask. Kind of what kind of church do we want to be? What would our desire be? And um, I guess we want to be outward looking, serving the communities around us lovingly, reaching out with the good news of Jesus. Uh, we want to be inward looking in a healthy way, the kind of loving one another. We want the church family to be a place where Every generation from the youngest to the oldest is loved and cared for and supported. But there's one other desire, as well as looking outwards in love, looking inwards in love. There's one other desire, which I think can often drop off the radar. And it's looking forwards to keeping going for our whole lives, looking forwards to keeping going um, until we see Jesus face to face. So if you've got a, a Bible with Hebrews 6 in front of you, just have a look at uh, chapter 6, verse 11, where the author shows his desire for this church family that he's writing to and for Chalmers as well. Let me just read chapter 6, verse 11. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you might not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The desire to keep going, to look forward in hope every day of our lives until we see Jesus face to face. That's his desire for them. It's his desire for us. Keeping going. And keeping going, not in a kind of just just about making it kind of way, but keeping going with an enthusiasm, with an eagerness. Did you notice that language? Verse 11, we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness have the full assurance of hope until the end. Uh, he wants us to be a church family and God wants us to be a church family. It doesn't just look outwards in love, look inwards in love, but looks forwards in hope and tries to keep going all the way, helps each other to keep going all the way. And so in lots of ways that we've heard that in Hebrews before, haven't we? Uh, don't get weary. You have need of endurance. Don't drift away. But the question is, how? How do we keep going in this passage? How do we keep going to the end? Because we all know the journey is tough. There's all sorts of things going on in our hearts and lives at the moment. And we have one of those weeks where we just were reminded of how much we stick out like a sore thumb as Christians. And started with Halloween. We had our um, Jesus is the light pumpkins out and they get mixed reactions when people come to the door. Uh, then we had our, our kind of school parent teacher things and just going into the school environment. You realize this is this is 
a place where a Christian really stands out as something different. So how do we keep going? How do we keep going to the end? Well, the basic answer of this passage is the way to keep going to the end is to be eager to keep growing. The way to keep going is to be eager to keep growing. That is to say, growth in the Christian life is not a kind of optional extra just for the keenies. I guess you noticed in the readings, in, in the reading, there's lots of pictures of growth in this passage, uh, growth from milk to solid food, growth from kind of elementary teaching, like nursery teaching to kind of proper grown up teaching, uh, growth when rain falls, uh, a land is supposed to grow crops and not grow thistles. It's all about growth. And right in the middle, there's this real warning, a big, big danger sign saying you're in danger if not growing. So the way to keep going to the end is to keep growing. That's the message I think is so important for us to, to, to hear. That should be one of our desires as a church family as we go on to this next phase of our life. Not just to look out in love, not just to look in in love, but to look forward to keep each other going right to the end. So then let's get into the details um, uh, of what it looks like to keep going. Um, what we're going to do this morning, we've got two points uh, in theory, but I think we're going to run out of time before the second point. So the second point will be very brief. Um, and we'll we'll send some resources um, just because there's so much in the passage and uh, on Zoom, I think it might be too much to absorb in one sitting. Um, so uh, two points, but the first one is the major one. So if you were gonna um, uh, if you were gonna pick one word to describe the state that you normally arrive at church in, if you have one word, um, I wonder what it would be. We won't pause to feed them in, but what word would describe the state you typically arrive? At church in I wonder if the word would be eager eager maybe this morning it would have been if we'd been in the building I think we would have been kind of eager eager to see it eager to kind of experience our, our new life together um, and actually for some people I mean the kids in our household they are often eager to get to church and um, I hope that's because of the brilliant teaching at Sunday Club which we're very grateful for it might also be because of the biscuits not sure but actually adults know we can get biscuits at home and the building kind of excitement is going to fade. And so the question is, for the absolute core activity of church, as we gather together to hear God speak and respond in praise and prayer, how eager are we for that? How eager are we to listen, to learn, to grow? I think it's very easy, if you've been around church for some time, to, to slightly go through the motion, to kind of turn up, sing the song, sit, stand up, sit down. Hear, hear the word, but but it slightly just kind of washes past us. And the author is worried that Hebrews, that this congregation is starting to be a bit like that. So just turn to the start of the passage, um, chapter 5, verse 11. Chapter 5, verse 11, where he says, About this we have much to explain, uh, much to say, sorry, but it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing, literally kind of sluggish of hearing. Uh, his his concern is that they are kind of slightly zoning out when they hear the Bible read and taught now. He thinks this church may have slightly plateaued in their growth as Christians. That word dull of hearing um, is a kind of lazy word. Let me read some of the other, other descriptions in uh, other translations in the English Bible. So um, one Bible says you, it's hard to explain since you've become too lazy to understand. Another says since you've become sluggish in hearing. Another says, because you no longer try to understand. 
It's the word that's the opposite of eager. Rather than being eager to listen, to grow, this church had begun to, to, well, become sluggish, dull, slow to listen, not that keen. There's a kind of spiritual slothfulness that was taking hold of them. Now, uh, he knows that's going to be a problem for keeping going to the end. The Christian life is hard enough that we need the food of God's word to keep us going over the long haul of the race. And all those things that Robin was reading earlier about what God's word can do for us, how precious and rich and and beautiful it is. We only experience them if we're uh, eager to listen, attentive and open hearts and ears. Just before we go on to what keeping growing um, in this way uh, actually looks like on the ground. um, I want to hit the pause button and say, why is he saying this now in Hebrews? And um, so we're, we're, he's saying you need to listen up, listen up. But why? Why is listening up attentively happening now in Hebrews? Well, look at what he just said. Chapter five, verse 10. He just got onto the topic of Jesus being designated by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, if you've ever found your eyes slightly glazing over when the word Melchizedek comes up in conversation or in a Bible reading, uh, you're not alone. <laughs> this this con- congregation were, were in that kind of, oh, really? Melchizedek who? Do we really need to know that? Is that really relevant? I mean, there's a lot going on in life at the moment. Uh, I've got kind of bills stacking up or I've got uh, parenting things I don't know what to do with or I've got um, relationships going wrong or or I've got work pressures that can't, I can't get off my mind. I can't sleep. I, do I really need to know about Melchizedek? Have I really got the headspace, the heart space for that? Actually, yes, the author thinks we do really need to know about how Jesus is this amazing priest, a king priest like Melchizedek. In fact, if you look on to chapter seven, verse one, at the end of our passage, you'll see he goes straight back to that topic. But you could chop out our whole passage. You could go straight from 510 to seven, verse one, and it wouldn't it wouldn't break the flow. He just carries on. So this is a kind of pause button. It's like I just need to stop to say, listen up. I know it might be tempting at this point to zoom out slightly, to drift away mentally, but listen up. This really matters, the stuff we're going on to in Hebrews. So in some ways, today is the kind of G-up call to say, for the remainder of our time in Hebrews, uh, let's let's have eager, eager hearts, eager hearts to listen and eager hearts to grow. So let me just um, show us uh, a little bit about uh, where Hebrews has gone um, uh, so far, uh, let me show you. This is the book so far, in case in case um, you've missed bits or it's all, all blurred into a mush. Um, so far, we've seen a few things about Jesus. We saw right at the start of the book that he's this great king, this kind of enthroned king who's spoken. God has spoken through his son and he's greater, greater than prophets, greater than angels, greater than Moses. Now, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. He's the great king. Then we saw Uh, The great king actually came down to us to be a brother who suffered, to bring many sons to glory. He he came down to be a founder of salvation, not just the great speaker from on high, but the brother alongside us. Um, And then we had the big warning passage. uh, Don't be like those uh, Israelites in the desert who didn't listen, who hardened their hearts to God's great salvation. And so didn't make it to the end. And now we're getting into the very centre of the book of Hebrews. So this section from chapter 5 to chapter 10 is the centre of everything he's saying. And it's all about Jesus, the priest, this enthroned priest, this king priest, like Melchizedek, a king priest, 
And it's wonderful stuff. It's going to be richly um, precious. I, I pray for us pastorally. It, it helps us know where to turn when things are difficult, when life is a struggle. It gives us confidence that we can approach God however we're feeling, however the week's gone. We can boldly approach God's throne. But it's just possible to slightly zone out at this stage. That's why we've got this warning. And he's just going into how Jesus is a better priest than Aaron and Levi and others, how he's appointed by God. It's going to be amazing stuff. But just at this moment, he thinks, you know what? I need to pause. I need to I need to stop and say, please don't lose me here. <laughs> please don't get off the bus. This We're going somewhere amazing. Don't be lazy listeners. That's what this passage is doing. Now, there's a lot more detail to come, but if you don't get anything else, please pick up that. This kind of danger of being a lazy listener at church, of just drifting off slightly when we hear God's word. Because to keep going, we need eagerness, eagerness to keep growing, eagerness to keep um, listening. OK, um, and we'll we'll talk briefly about the hope at the end. We're not much about that. OK, so back to the point. Um, we need to listen up attentively to keep growing. Um, now, one of the things about Zoom is uh, I can't see enough of your faces uh, close enough to know if you're listening. Unlike in the building, you can usually tell if someone's fallen asleep. <laughs> but here I have no idea. But I'm going to plough on and just keep praying that um, despite the difficulty, we are eager to listen. So let's get into um, some of the details of our passage. Um, uh, so chapter um, 6, verse 11. Um, listen up attentively is the way to grow. Now, in some ways, we shouldn't be surprised that listening is key to growing as a Christian. Um, as Robin was saying, God's word is powerful, powerful to change us. The picture here is of food, isn't it? Um, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So he's talking about Bible truth, Bible teaching. And strikingly, he expects that if they've been hearing Bible teaching now for quite a few years as a church, they ought to have been growing up. It's a really striking expectation that actually um, uh, listening up to the Bible will grow us, even grow us to become teachers. He's not talking about a particular group. He's talking about all Christians here. And it's really striking. It surprised me in the passage, actually. Um, he's not particularly talking about the gift to teach that... Um, an elder would need to have or a small group leader or a minister. This is talking about every Christian growing to the point where they could teach someone else. That is, they could explain to a friend why Jesus is amazing. They could encourage a younger Christian and what it looks like to follow Jesus. His expectation is that over time, every Christian grows to the point where they can encourage and teach someone else. Striking that. I think it's a sign of just how powerful God's word actually is. It genuinely causes revolution in people's lives, reformation in people's character. It, it equips us in how we relate to other people. And I have actually seen this over years. I guess we all have. Um, it's not about intellectual ability. It's not about whether you're an A-star student at a school or university or whatever, um, a high flyer at work. It's about whether we're willing to actually listen to what God says. It's about eagerness to learn. And those who are eager, wherever they've come from, whatever their background, always grow and grow into the ability to explain Jesus to someone else, even at a simple level. But sadly, this church wasn't growing. It was actually going backwards, not forwards. 
Okay, right, at the end of verse 12, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. Again, striking this, um, he's acknowledging, I think, some bits of the Bible are harder than others. As he talks about solid food, he's, he's saying that the bit we're going on to, to talk about Melchizedek, that's going to take some chewing. It's actually going to going to take a bit more active processing and thinking through to to benefit from. But again, that's all part of growing up. It was a great day in our household when we moved from bottle feeding to solids. And we knew that 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 was an important stage in development. The health visitors would be checking for that kind of thing because the solids are what will strengthen um, the children for the life ahead. A return to a milk-only diet would have been a cause for real concern. And yet sometimes Christians or churches can be satisfied with a kind of baby formula understanding of Jesus and the gospel, just paddling in the shallows. We can sometimes even take a kind of pride in it, as in, I know Jesus died on the cross and that's all I need to know. That's all there is to know. Actually, while we should never move from the cross, and Jesus's death from our sins, we can move deeper in understanding the cross and understanding him, just the extraordinary reality of who he actually is, of what it means that he died for us. There's a treasure trove of riches to explore. The only question is whether we will have the eagerness to explore it. Again, some of us may feel, well, hang on, I'm I'm not that kind of person. I'm not an intellectual type. I'm never going to do a PhD in theology. Surely it's not saying that kind of every Christian needs to be a kind of intellectual Bible expert. Again, this isn't about how clever we are. It's about how hungry we are. And actually, the way you grow when it comes to Bible truth has got something really striking in it. It involves living out the truth practically. Just look at verse 14. Again, this I found this profoundly striking. Um, chapter 5, verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who've had their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see what that's saying? Maturity in the Christian life doesn't just come from kind of loads of evening classes in theology or reading hundreds of Christian books or tuning into the latest podcasts. Maturity comes as we live out God's word. You see that solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to discern, to distinguish good from evil. So I wonder, it's not just then, are we coming to Sundays? Are we listening up when we're there or small groups? The real question is, what happens the day after? What happens after we've heard God's word? Are we training ourselves with constant practice to distinguish good from evil? And I think that's literally just saying, are we trying to live in light of what God said? Are we trying to discern how does that truth apply on the ground in this complex situation? And it is complex. Like it is hard sometimes to know what should a Christian do in this environment. But that's part of growing up. And actually, that's why we need um, we need food that stretches us. We do need the Bible to, to help us keep growing, which is our third part of eagerness to keep growing, learning more deeply. Hope you're still with me. Have a have a deep breath or a, a, a toe wiggle if you need to. Um, but uh, here we're in chapter six, verses one to two. Chapter six, verses one to two. Uh, which on 
first hearing might sound um, slightly heretical. Just listen to this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. That sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Uh, it doesn't Colossians say we should never leave Christ. Uh, he's all you need. Uh, doesn't uh, 1 Corinthians say I, I resolve to know nothing except Christ crucified. But he's not saying leave teaching about Jesus. He's saying leave elementary teaching about Jesus. Leave the nursery. Come out of sparklers get through Sunday Club and get into adult teaching. That's what he's saying. Um, the examples here, the, the foundation of repentance the, the uh, and faith, instructions about washing, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. I think it's a kind of introductory uh, truths about Christianity. Some people think that's talking about the Old Testament Jewish and um, the types and shadows. I think it might just be a kind of Christianity explored introduction um, to the basics of becoming a Christian. But the point is, you can't just keep doing Christianity Explored your whole life and expect to keep growing as a Christian. We need to we need to grow up and keep uh, uh, being eager for the food of God's word, the whole counsel of God. A simple gospel outline like two ways to live is brilliant. Um, but actually, we need more food if we're going to keep growing. Um, and so I hope we're, we're kind of hungry for the rest of Hebrews. Uh, lots of us have been excited with Hebrews so far. I hope we're hungry for what comes next. It is amazing stuff, and um, the, the teaching about Melchizedek that's still to come. And actually, we do need to keep growing, and um, because the author um, has a, a, a very stark warning, a very stark warning for those where there's no growth, no hunger, no attentiveness to God's word, no desire to live it out. So this is our big warning, and um, and I guess is is the bit of the passage some of us may have lots of questions about. And um, this big warning that without these signs of growing, there is real danger. So let's look at verses three to eight. It's worth saying verses three to eight is one of the scariest warnings, not just in the book of Hebrews, but actually the whole of Scripture. And it's very debated in terms of uh, theologically. Is this saying that real Christians can fall away? And pastorally, is this saying that I've done this? What if I have rebelled against God? Is there any way back for me um, or for those I care for? So we need to tread carefully. Um, and this is, a, this is a part of the passage where I wish we were in person so you could come and ask me a question afterwards. Um, I will be around in the Zoom groups um, or feel free to um, email questions in um, after this or, or ask another day. Um, but let me address some of the, um, I think, most significant questions that may be on our minds. Um, first off, um, theologically, are these verses, verses three to eight, saying that a real Christian, a born again Christian, someone who's united to Jesus can fall away? And if it is saying that, how does that fit with promises we have in, in scripture like Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of God? Um, or or the, John 10, that, that Jesus holds his sheep in his hand and no one can snatch them out of his hand. Well, actually, it's not just other bits of the Bible, other books of the Bible that say everyone who truly trusts in Jesus does make it to the end. Because Hebrews itself has said that. Again, if you've got a Bible, just turn back to Hebrews chapter three, verse 14. Hebrews has already said that anyone who truly trusts Christ does make it to the end. Verse 14. 
uh, of chapter three, we've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Everyone who truly trusts Christ does make it to the end. But before we therefore kind of relax and say, well, we can ignore this warning then, it must be for someone else. Uh, the scary part of Hebrews is that uh, he is warning that people can be regular at church, can even understand the gospel and what the message actually is, uh, and then fall away. That was the warning, actually, we had in, in Hebrews 3 and 4, wasn't it? That there were people who came out of Egypt with Moses and they heard the gospel proclaimed and they saw the supernatural signs around them. They were they were kind of experiencing this community of God's people. And yet, look at chapter four, verse two. Good news came to us just as to them, four, verse two. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. It's one thing hearing the word, it's a whole other thing, actually listening and trusting and obeying. And so we have these people in chapter six, verse four, people who I think are as close as you could get to being a Christian. Uh, people who uh, have um, experienced all the blessings of uh, being part of God's people. Let me just read verse um, four. It is impossible. In the case of those who've once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, I realise on first read, that language in verse four sounds just like a Christian. It, we might think, doesn't that sound like someone who's been born again? Um, I think these, these descriptions um, can describe the experience of being in God's people. So being enlightened can be coming to an understanding of the truth, a knowledge of the gospel, um, experiencing or, or sharing in the Holy Spirit. Well, we, we heard in chapter three, the spirit addresses us whenever we hear God's word read and proclaimed. So experiencing the, the, the voice of the spirit and seeing the life-changing power in the community, even perhaps joining in um, uh, kind of like the, the Israelites tasting the manna, kind of tasting this heavenly gift uh, of the church family and being part of that, and yet then falling away. And of course, the warning is for this category of person, there's no way back. That's the scary thing, isn't it? Not that people drift away from church, but that some people who drift away from church never come back, never can come back. Now, it's worth saying there is a category in the New Testament of backsliding. Think of Peter, the apostle who denied Jesus, uh, who, who kind of lived in rebellion to Jesus and then came back. There is that category of backsliding, but that's not what this is talking about. There is another category, this category of you might call apostasy, of someone who walks away from Jesus and never comes back, who understands the gospel, who's even been around church and experienced the blessings and the amazing power of God in the gospel and then rejects it, walks away and never comes back. You might say that's the Judas category. That's a very sober warning. And I guess. Many of us may have people in our minds and hearts, even now, friends, family, people we've been at church with previously. Folk who grew up in Christian families, maybe 
people who've heard a lot of the good news, who, who even served at church and were involved in church. And we may well be wondering, what should I make of that person? Is that person a Peter? And one day they'll, they'll come to their senses and come back. Or, or is this a Judas? And there's no way back. I think if that's what's on our mind, I want to say gently that Hebrews is not wanting us to talk, think about someone else out there. God wants us to think about ourselves, each other right here. That's what this warning is about. It's a warning to say we want to be we need to be eager to grow. And the thing is, from our perspective, we don't know if someone is uh, backsliding and going to come back or if it's apostasy and they can't come back and never will. We don't know that for anyone else. But the warning is, well, make sure we stay eager to grow. There is no safe way to wander away from Jesus. There's no safe way to, to dabble with sin. One of the scariest, genuinely scariest things I, I sometimes hear in ministry is, is sentences like, um, I'm going to sort things out with God later. Or I'm going to get serious about God later. I want to enjoy the world first. Or work life is just such that I need to give the next decade to that and then, then I'll get things right with God in retirement. Or with the family pressures at the moment, I'm, I'm taking a bit of a break from church. I'm not giving up being a Christian. It's just less of a priority. To which this book would say, danger, danger, danger. There is no safe way to walk away from Jesus. We may think, oh, I'm just doing it temporarily. I'm sure I'll come back. But actually, when you know what you're walking away from, you've been enlightened, you understand the gospel, you've tasted the blessings of church, it could be eternally deadly to wander away. As he puts it, it's, it's holding Jesus in contempt. In their case, it was uh, going to be going back to Judaism, which was politically and socially much safer and much less persecution that way. But to know that Jesus is the only way, the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible and the cross, and then to say, do you know what, I'm, I'm going to wander to something a bit more comfortable. It is not safe. It's deadly. For us, I guess, in our culture, it would look like going to a softer, more publicly acceptable, less costly form of religion. So maybe something that's Christian in name, but, but relativistic or, or multi-faith in reality. Something that removes the uniqueness of Jesus, our priest, uh, and so removes the hard edges. Hebrews says, danger, beware. There is a category of abandoning Jesus that you can never come back from. At which point, I guess we're sobered, scared, perhaps. I guess there'll be different reactions. Um, uh, let me speak to a few of them. Um, firstly, to the person who is terrified and thinks, I think this is me. Perhaps you're thinking, well, what if I've committed the unforgivable sin? What if I have denied Jesus and rejected him and, and there's no way back for me? I want to repent, but what if God won't have me? Well, if that's you, there's good news. Because if you're repentant, if you're sorry for your sin and wanting to be forgiven and wanting to come back into healthy relationship with Jesus, well, by definition, this does not apply to you. That makes sense, verse six. What was it impossible to do? Um, it was impossible to restore again to repentance this person 
And so if you are repentant, if you want to come back, if you want forgiveness, if you're confessing sin, well, then by definition, this warning is not you. And it's important to say that because there are sometimes, whether it's through um, real anxiety uh, or through a tender conscience, sometimes real Christians do feel, oh, no, I think I've done this. What if I'm a Judas, not a Peter? Well, the difference is Peter was convicted in tears and, and came back for forgiveness. If you're repentant, this is not you. But actually, the more dangerous category, I guess, is the person who reads this and thinks, oh, this could never be me. This definitely isn't me. I'm, I'm absolutely solid as a Christian. I, I'm, I've been to church since, since I was very young. I'm from good stock. I'm always around on Sundays. I serve in all sorts of ways. I, yeah, I zone out a bit when the Bible is taught. And yeah, I don't really engage much at small group because I already know most of the books we're looking at. I don't think I'm particularly needing to grow at the moment because I'm I'm fairly mature. I'm kind of safe as houses. If that was us, and I'm pleased to say I don't think I've met someone like that but around here, but, but if that was us, there'd be real danger. Beware if the eagerness to keep growing has, has gone. That can be real danger signs. Now, wonderfully, with this church um, and, and for your encouragement, I think both the church he's writing to and, and Chalmers Church, I think there's lots of encouragements that we are keen to grow, eager. The fact we're all here, even on Zoom, listening to me, uh, is an encouraging sign. Um, and certainly from verse nine, he's encouraged with them. Um, just look at the, the final um, aspect of growing there in verses 11 to 12 that he um, speaks about. Uh, verse 11, we desire each one of you to grow, to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is the final aspect of what it looks like to grow. And we've had the warning and, and now we're back to the positives. What does it look like to grow? Well, we've had listening up attentively to God's word. We've had living it out practically. That's what actually grows maturity. We've had learning more. So I'm deeply desiring to, to keep making progress in our understanding of the gospel. And then finally, we're back to hope, looking forward assuredly. That verse, we desire you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And of course, this fits the others. If we know what God really has promised, and we grow in understanding that he can be trusted as we see his character all over scripture. Well, then we will grow in real assurance of hope. Now, um, I think we probably don't have the time or the, or the headspace on Zoom to, to cover verses 13 to 20 in, in any detail. I'm just going to show you a picture that I hope it helps explain it. Um, and we'll, I'll, we'll produce a, a fuller explanation and to, to look at in small groups on video. Um, but the connection between our main passage here of we need to keep going, we need to keep growing. The connection with that and verses 13 to 20 is that we grow in our hope. That is, the more solid our trust and hope of God's promises are, or the more we'll be able to keep growing and living out our Christian faith now. We'll be sure that this is rock solid, this hope we live for. We won't hedge our bets or think, well, I want to taste what the world has, because we'll trust that what God has is better. In other words, we'll make it to the rest if we're sure it's there, if we can trust God's promise uh, of entering his rest. Um, so over verses 13 to 20, 
And let me just very briefly explain what he's saying. He's saying that our hope in the Christian life, the hope of making it to God's wrath, is guaranteed, triple guaranteed. I know that triple locks at the moment aren't particularly um, as reliable as they used to be when it comes to Westminster politics. But when it comes to God, this triple lock, that because he never lies, you can trust his promise. And because he makes an oath, you can trust his promise. And because Jesus is already in heaven awaiting us as our high priest, we can trust his promise. And if you do want to read through verses 13 to 17 um, separately uh, this week and discuss them, and um, what he's doing is comparing uh, the promise to Abraham uh, that he will surely bless you and multiply you, that promise that came to Abraham, and then this promise to Jesus about being our eternal priest. He's comparing the two promises and he's saying that Abraham's promise was guaranteed because uh, God never lies, so you can trust it. And God made an oath. He said, by myself, I swear that I will bless you and multiply you. And with Jesus, it's the same. He's He never lies. We can trust Jesus is our eternal priest. And God swore an oath. Uh, the Lord sworn will not change his mind. Jesus is our priest. So you can go away and think about that. The difference for us is that we also have the son enthroned at God's right hand. So kind of our hope is chained to Jesus, the anchor, already in heaven. So we can trust if we just um, hold on to him, he'll take us home. I hope that makes sense. You can go away and think more about that or ask questions. But the big point this morning is that point of growing eagerly. And of course, we want to grow in this promise. We want to know more of why Jesus is so worth trusting in a world that doesn't trust him. Let me pray as we close. Our Father in heaven, a passage like this with weighty eternal matters, we know that um, we need to take seriously. And so we pray you would help us individually and as a church family to be eager to grow. Please help us to trust your promises. Please help us to have secure hope, full assurance of hope. And we pray with one another, we would spur each other on to live for your new creation. Help us today as we hear your voice, not to harden our hearts, but to eagerly, obediently trust your promise. We pray all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.